welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. This is Sophie Shepard, the founder of She Talks Health. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited because today we have a special guest talking about something we haven't really talked about a lot on this podcast, which is always fun for us and something new for you to learn. So the topic today is the vagus nerve, and we're going to be talking about what it is why it's so important and how it affects us in different parts of our hormonal journeys. So from our cycles to postpartum to pregnancy and even assessing low, what's called low vagal tone in babies, kids, and adults. So I'm really excited to bring in an expert in this field, Dr. Carrie Rigoni. She is a chiropractor and she actually is on the podcast all the way from Australia today. It's 5 a.m. her time. So we are so grateful that she's (laughs) waking up with us. And she, as a chiropractor, works with moms, she says, moms and babies to optimize their baby's brain development and set them up for lifelong health. So she loves talking about all things vagus nerve, which we're going to pick her brain like crazy today on that, and all the factors that influence brain development. And she has a super busy practice in Perth. And I'm just so excited to talk to you, Dr. Gary. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I mean, this is so, this is so great because we, we know you and I know the vagus nerve is so important for many aspects of our health, but it's just not really being talked about. And it's certainly not being talked about in relationship to hormones and pregnancy and postpartum and kids and any of that. So I'm just fascinated to pick your brain. And before we do what I just always love to ask how you got into this niche, like how did you maybe find this vagus nerve and find out that you really love to talk about this. Yeah. So for me, it was my own personal health journey. You know, I think we all stumble across that one thing yes. <laughs> when we're going through <laughs> our own trials and tribulations. So um, for me, I had this never ending fatigue and I could never get to the bottom of it. And it wasn't until I saw this practitioner and it was very much a I've tried everything else. I'll just go see this person, see what they have to say. And they absolutely changed my life. And their focus was on the vagus nerve. 
So amazing. And then I was like, you know, <laughs> okay, so I need to do this. <laughs> you know, I need to learn about this and study this. I'm, I'm embodying it because I've lived through that experience. So yeah, then I just studied as much as I could about the vagus nerve and applied it in my own clinical practice and results have been just so amazing. So I just want to share with everyone how important it is. Well, thank you for sharing that, especially that specific symptom, because I think so many women are dealing with chronic exhaustion and fatigue. And especially if we start talking about postpartum, oh my goodness. And you know, we're so often looking for pathology and Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism or all these things. But it's interesting to know that your fatigue was coming from this potentially, like, I guess I'm assuming low vagal tone. We'll get into what that means and mm-hmm. how you overcame it and what other women might be able to follow in your footsteps. So for someone who's maybe never heard of the vagus nerve, how would you describe this vagus nerve and what it does in the body? So the vagus nerve is the largest nerve in the body and it travels from your brainstem through your neck, through your torso, through your abdomen, all the way down to your pelvic floor. And it's kind of got all of these little like, not octopus legs, but you know, little projections. They go to everything. It just covers everything. So vagus actually means wandering in Latin. And it's because this nerve wanders through our whole body and connects to everything. And the vagus nerve has two big roles in that there is a big part that the brain tells the um, body what to do via the vagus nerve. But the biggest part of the vagus nerve is actually sensing what is going on in the body and then feeding that information back to the brain so that the brain can process it or change what it's doing to adapt to what's happening actually in the body. So it's creating, it sounds like a loop between the brain is going to communicate to organs and hormones and different parts of the body via vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is then going to say, hey, brain, like, I don't know, there's pain down in the pelvic bowl or there's something going on. So it's a communication highway. Correct. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love Latin term (laughs) that it means long. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It's it's kind of funny that you just brought that up because I was just in Guatemala. This has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) I was in Guatemala and I don't speak Spanish and everyone was like, oh, did did you take Spanish in school? And I was like, no, I took Latin. And they're like, why'd you take Latin? I said, I don't know. I went to Catholic (laughs) school. I was like required. (laughs) This is so silly, you know, it's like useless. Gosh, just until now. Yeah, until now. <laughs> now I'm perfect. It's, now I know what Vegas means. Vegas nerve. Okay, so it's the largest nerve in the body. It travels throughout the body. It's a communication highway. So that, I mean, it's kind of silly to even ask why it's important because it sounds like it's vitally important for every part of your body to work properly or to communicate properly. Yeah, and the big thing that it does is it pulls us out of a stress response. So often our nervous system, particularly like postpartum or our first pregnancy or a pregnancy that feels really stressful and our nervous system is slightly hypervigilant and on edge and everything feels like a threat because you just want to keep yourself safe. The vagus nerve is what pulls us out of that and says, hey, you're safe. You don't need to stay in a fight or flight response. You can unwind, you can relax a little, you know, slow your breathing, don't stress, so to speak. So it tells your whole body whether you're safe or not. And it does that by scanning both the internal and external environment that's happening 
around you. So whether it's facial expressions or loud noises or internal body inflammation, the vagus nerve compiles all of these together and actually tells the brain, yeah, it's, it's okay that you should feel unsafe right now. I want you to stay in a stress response because there are things going on around you that don't feel safe. Or it says, hey, you're, stop stressing, man. I've got you. <laughs> Everything is good. Let's unwind a little bit. So it's very powerful in how our body regulates itself. And we know that a lot of biochemical processes that happen in the body are very much dependent on whether we're in a stressed out state or a sympathetic dominant state. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> It's so early. My throat is so crazy. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually just going to say, I can't wait to ask you about the hormone part because I'm already seeing in my practice like how much when we're in fight or flight and we're kind of stuck in that system, how much it affects our hormones. So, so yeah. this is really important <laughs> yeah. because this is, this is basically the nervous system part of your, of your body telling your, your body how to regulate into parasympathetic or sympathetic based on what the information it's receiving. Yeah, so it does that based on the information it's receiving. And then when it gets to your brain, that's based on your subjective experience of the world. So, you know, everyone's going to feel different about different threats, different traumas, how we hold on to our trauma, how we process things. So it becomes, a, you know, a general scan that is then related back to the individual based on their entire life experience up to that point. That's pretty amazing. I'm thinking about the book Wired for Healing by Annie Hopper. She mm -hmm. talks about like this limbic system loop that we get in where she was exposed to mold. And then even though she had cleared the mold out of her body, but her body had like stored the trauma of the mold. And then it was like triggering. And it's like, I'm seeing this a lot with women who maybe we clear out their SIBO or we clear out their gut issues, but there's still lingering stuff because their body, I think, is stuck in that fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's interesting. So all of that being controlled and communicated through the vagus nerve sounds like if you can support the vagus nerve, you could really do some serious healing. Correct. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So, okay. So we, now we know what it is, kind of how it works and how important it is let's talk about what you see in practice. How does this affect hormones and your cycle? And then let's talk about the other phases of life, like postpartum and pregnancy. Mm, so I mean, there I could talk about this all day. <laughs> so if I go on a tangent, it's please okay. pull me I'll back bring it, in. I'll bring it back <laughs> in if you go on a tangent. <laughs> so the big thing with hormones is that we need to be able to pull into a regenerative state to have pretty healthy, stable hormonal production. Stress is good. Stress is fine. Stress is not the enemy. We need some stress in our life. And, you know, when we look at the nervous system, things that activate our sympathetic are not always bad, you know, like sheer joy and excitement and all of these really big, happy emotions actually activate our sympathetic nervous system as well. So the goal here is not to stop activating the sympathetic, but it's to ensure that our nervous system can pull back into the parasympathetic for long enough each day that it can have regular hormone balance. So rather than prioritizing 
high cortisol production, you know, pushing all of our nutrients towards this high stress state and kind of going, well, you know, we're in a sympathetic dominant state here. We don't, we don't need to worry about the rest of our hormones because fertility is not a big priority if I'm trying to be in this fight or flight, if I'm trying to deal with whatever danger is in my life. I say fertility, I know it's not all you know, about fertility, but that's a good sign of good hormones, right? That's basically yeah, what I'm... Sure, sure. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think whether your goal is to become pregnant or not, your estrogen and your progesterone, especially progesterone, is so affected by stress. And if you're stuck in fight or flight or the sympathetic dominant place, it's like your body's not going to really worry about making those hormones and ovulation mm. and healthy amounts of progesterone if it's like thinks it's running away from a tiger or whatever yeah. is stressing out <laughs> your body. Yeah, I see this like yeah. all the time with irregular cycles and missing cycles. I mean, every week, so. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, so this this is really making sense to me. I hope it's making sense to everyone else who might've heard <laughs> it for the first time. And do you, do you find that that also relates to like pain in the body from the menstrual cycle? Yeah, so the vagus nerve is one of the biggest inhibitory nerves in the body. So this means it inhibits pain amongst other things. And it's quite anti-inflammatory. So when it's working well, it can inhibit pain. It can calm um, like muscular tone, you know, so you're not having those awful cramps. And it's going to make bleeding, you know, and even ovulation, it's going to help it just happen with ease rather than be a struggle, you know, like a lead up with the PMS and then the pain and then, you know, the works. So having a healthy vagus nerve enables your hormones and your body to do what it's naturally meant to do. That makes so much sense to me because I always think of, you know, when I'm describing hormones and how they work, I'm always talking about how the brain will kick off the hormone down to the organ and the organs will make, you know, or the gland, the the thyroid gland or the whatever gland ovaries are going to make that hormone. It's like a phone call. And if you're playing telephone and you have like three kids in the background screaming, you're not going to get the full signal from the brain <laughs> and the hormones aren't going to be developed properly in the right amounts. And then what happens when that happens, we have PMS and cramps and heavy cycles and all these awful things that we shouldn't have to deal with. So mm -hmm. this makes a lot of sense that if the vagus nerve wasn't doing well and that's an anti-inflammatory and inflammation causes that confusion of communication that you would totally have issues like pain if it's not working well. And the kicker for our cycles is that the vagus nerve is very, very sensitive to two things, high cortisol, so stress, <laughs> and inflammation so say whether that's from your gut or mold exposure you know whatever whatever is happening in your body elsewhere if it's a pro-inflammatory state then these two things actually cause the vagus nerve to work less so when we talk about this low vagal tone those two things drop it down so it can become this vicious cycle for women where you know maybe they've had something happen and their vagus nerve goes down because the stress was high and then their vagus nerve stays at that state and then they start to get cycle problems. And then their stress goes up because they're worried about their cycle. And then their vagus nerve gets lower. You know, it goes down and down and down until you're in this like, yeah, downward cycle of like, I don't know how I got here and what to fix first. 
I was just going to say, <laughs> because by the time someone, it's not like there's a, a little alarm bell that goes, oh, your vagus nerve is low. <laughs> you know, no one's yeah. really thinking that. They're just going about their lives. And then at some point they have like an awful period that starts coming or they get, you know, symptoms like the PMS that are coming up. So is there a way to assess how would one then support strengthening their vagal tone, maybe is it in conjunction with removing the inflammation and lowering the stress or how would that work? Because I feel like this would be a really cool adjunct to add to, to my work. Cause I'm always working on getting rid of the gut stuff, like the bacteria, the funguses, the mold, and then helping people manage their stress. But if they're already kind of stuck in that low vagal tone, how do we tonify it, I guess, back up to the place it should be? Yeah, so in my practice, I work firstly to remove the inflammation. So I would still be doing all of that gut stuff first. And then when I'm happy that there's nothing inhibiting gut function from an inflammatory or pathological point of view, then I would start activating the vagus nerve then. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then <laughs> can you give just one example of how you, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. You can gargle, you can gag yourself, you can do <laughs> hot, cold exposure. I mean, there's like so many things. Like, have you found one that you just love or do you just have like a whole list of things you help people with? Yeah, my most favorite one. <clears throat> Actually, I'll share two because okay. one of them is so lovely for postpartum. But my most favorite one is actually an eye exercise. So what you would do is cut the back of your head and then you would hold one of your, both your eyes over to one side. So over, yep. So don't push it too far, but just kind of across horizontally and fix your gaze on something. And you just hold your eyes there long enough until you feel something shift in your nervous system. You might sigh, you might yawn, you might like your shoulders might just suddenly drop down. Some people burp or cough or yeah. <laughs> That was so good. I you guys see it because I don't know if we're gonna do the video, but you, I just did it and I felt so relaxed after like a few breaths. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's cool. a really quick and easy one way to kind of activate it really fast. Now, if your vagus nerve is really low for a really long time, that can make you feel very tired because if you've been in a sympathetic stress state and finally your nervous system says you're safe to come into a parasympathetic state and start regenerating your body, then it's probably going to want to take a really big nap. <laughs> mm, yeah. I kind of feel like I need to take a rest now. <laughs> oh, wow. Cool. Good thing I have acupuncture scheduled for right after this. <laughs> okay. So that's a really easy one. So an eye exercise and some, that's something someone could do every day. Yeah. A couple of times a day. Cool. And then you said you had two that you liked. What was the other one? So the other one, I really love anyone can use it, but I love to use it when I, you know, my kids are driving me crazy and I can't hold my eye in a certain direction. <laughs> for sure. a certain of time. So what you do is you find the top of your chest bone and then you find the bottom and then you go halfway between and you put pressure on your chest bone kind of just either side of the midline with your four fingers. So it's like they're all pushing. Whoa. And then you just hold it down. Yeah. Oh. And then oftentimes if your vagus nerve is kind of half working, it will say like, oh, thank you. And you'll notice your breathing changes already. 
if that doesn't happen, you just take a few breaths. So you would breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And you can do about 10 breaths. And again, you should feel that shift, that downward shift. I feel it. I feel it already <laughs> only after two breaths. That's really cool. Also, this kind of hurts. I can't tell if it's from working out or my <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I worked out like accidentally in my pecs instead of my biceps. The other day. <laughs> like I don't have pecs, but now I'm going to have them from this workout. <laughs> That's great. I love that one. Um, I also saw one on the interwebs. I think it was TikTok of all places, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. I should ask you about it. It was like an ice pack on your chest, kind of in the same area. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, you can use cold. So you can also use cold on your cheeks, mm -hmm. particularly if you have a history of jaw pain, headaches, etc. because there is a big link with the jaw and the vagus nerve. So if the jaw is really aggravated, often that can shut down the vagus nerve as well. So getting um, cold packs on your face or immersing your face in cold water can downregulate the nerves in your face and head that then allow your vagus nerve to work better. Wow. Okay, cool. Very cool. Thank you for sharing some of your insider tips. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to try these out. And so we talked about how low vagal tone can affect your menstrual cycle, pain and hormones. And we just recorded a podcast about like the postpartum bounce back culture and how we really need to do away with this. And so many women who've just given, I mean, probably every woman who's just given birth, it's you're exhausted. You're in that hypervigilant state. You're not sleeping well. You're caring for a human being. So how does postpartum depletion affect your vagus nerve and um, how does that work? And is there anything else that you would change, I guess, or do differently with someone who's dealing with postpartum? Okay. There's so many factors to this one. It's such a big topic. So first and foremost, when we're dealing with the vagus nerve in the postpartum period, we need to remember what the mum has gone through because the vagus nerve is controlling our trauma response. So if the pregnancy has been stressful or the birth has not gone to plan and the mum's feeling really defeated about that or maybe even traumatised from the experience that she had from her caregivers and then she's coming home and having to look after this baby particularly the first time when you're like, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> and I'm trying to heal my own body. These mums can be really, like you say, stuck in that fight or flight. So big life moments like this, what they can do is change what I call the set point of your nervous system. So you may have been like pretty regulated beforehand, but then with a big trauma, your set point can be much higher, which means you're naturally oscillating at a, a more stressed out state day to day. And then we've got some mums whose nervous system finds the process so overwhelming that they actually go further. They go beyond the fight or flight and they go into a freeze response. And this can feel like complete paralysis, postpartum depression or anxiety, feeling like you can't connect with your baby and you know, it's becoming more and more common in our culture that this is happening because women are not getting the support to kind of process all of the trauma or the, just like, even if your birth was perfect, according to your books, you know, it's still such a life-changing event that like we're not being given that time and space to process 
our trauma and regulate ourselves because we're so busy trying to care for a little, a brand new little human and then sort of almost fend off people, you know, like, I don't know. Do you guys have seagulls over there? Yeah, we do have seagulls here (laughs) at the beach. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like you've got this brand new baby and all the seagulls come, but they don't actually want to help you in your healing and um, recovery. They just want to come and hold your baby. Yes. They're not, they're not creating this sense of safety for you. And we know the vagus nerve needs that safety to even come out of that hypervigilant state. So makes a lot of sense and it's interesting to hear this part of it because we did just release that we've done a couple of um postpartum podcasts but it's it's interesting about that kind of bounce back culture of like when you're pregnant oh you're so glowing and blah 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 and then it's like the second you're not pregnant it's like they people just expect you to be back to the way you were before pregnancy they're ignoring the physiological changes and then the trauma i mean like you said even if you had a kind of perfect birth like that was still painful your pelvic area has completely changed and that needs to be healed if you had a c-section you have inches of scar tissue that you have to heal and then we just expect people to just ignore the physical trauma that they've endured because of the gift of life which is amazing mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't cancel out what you still have to process and we're not set up in a society to process that and like you mentioned about the seagulls. I mean, the other thing that strikes me is like we used to have a much more tribal experience when a new life was brought in. Everyone in the tribe would support that mother and that child and it would be part of the family as opposed to like you're dealing with this alone or you and your husband or you and your wife are dealing with this new baby alone and there's not that community aspect so there's just no time for your body to feel like it's been safe and secured and taken care of i mean this makes so much sense and i'm now then in my brain i'm like wow i have so many clients who are postpartum who had like preeclampsia and then everything after that their life just shifted or they got hashimotos i mean there's so many stories of women getting syndromes or diseases after giving birth and this would make mm. a lot of sense as part of the equation yeah absolutely so you know where possible i really suggest not only creating that support network but setting up your expectations like a really common thing in my practice is they say you know my family and friends said they would come and help me but then they never followed through you know like set up those expectations so you're not left disappointed in that support network as well and it might mean some open conversations or setting whatever boundaries you have which I did find easier with my second child than my first my first I was just like okay whatever but you know setting those boundaries of what you personally what is important to you personally and here in Australia there are so many postpartum doulas now who will come out and have a session with you whether it's massage or closing the bones ceremony which is like wrapping deep wrapping all of these things no matter what you gravitate towards they all give your body that sense of safety that nervous system you know that deep pressure intimate contact with one person who you feel safe with they all tell your vagus nerve hey like it's you know the big part's done let's like let's calm down a little bit you're you're really safe here we need you to heal so that you can look after your baby 
Okay, this is a really silly reference, but I'm a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. <laughs> and there's this episode with an autistic doctor, and she has a panic attack, and she says, I need you to hold me. I need you to put pressure on me. And she said that's how her nervous system would calm down if, if they would hug her. And that makes so much sense, right? Like, it feels so good when you have a good long yeah. hug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so, wow, postpartum, we really need to, it sounds like, create boundaries, set up that network, set up your expectations, and also realize that your body probably is going to need some level of support to feel like it's back in a safety place and not in a hypervigilant, stressed, sympathetic, dominant state after birth. Yeah, there's no shame in seeking any form of mental health support immediately postpartum if you feel that your birth was traumatic for you. And that's a really subjective thing based on, you know, our life up to that point. But holding on to like trying to process a birth that you feel was not fair or, you know, like you didn't have full consent or whatever it is, processing that and helping your nervous system integrate that from an emotional point of view is also going to be really helpful because I find, you know, like our friends and our family, they can listen. Our caregivers will probably try and gaslight us, get that mental support as well, you know? Thank you for saying that. I'm a big advocate for all sorts of mental health support, whatever you need, whatever Mm. that looks like. And you're right. There's no shame in it. And this is uh, it's just stuff we don't talk about, huh? We just, this is... Oh, we just put it off. Like, well, I don't know, you know, we're just so worried about the baby. And, um, you know, in our culture of this bouncing back, there's, you know, we spend so much time researching our prams and our cots and all of the things that we feel because we're trying to provide for our baby. There's, again, no shame in having the pram that you want, but the time invested culturally in stuff versus the hmm. time invested culturally and actually processing what we're going through there's a bit of an imbalance there yeah a lot my gosh (laughs) Ooh, okay well that's fantastic for informing us about that thank you and then also pregnancy so there's obviously the postpartum stress but then there's stress that happens in pregnancy we know that chemicals can transfer to the baby in utero we know that as soon as they come out now the babies are being tested and they've been exposed to 200 different chemicals and their immune systems are a mess and all these different things so how could low vagal tone or pregnancy stress affect your baby can you transfer your vagal tone to your baby or how does that work you know, we're marinating our child in our own stress response. So there is some research to suggest that if you have low vagal tone or no, you have high cortisol, so high stress hormone during your pregnancy, your baby will be born with lower vagal tone compared to a pregnant mum who has normal levels of cortisol throughout her pregnancy. That's incredible. So if you're using cortisol as your main marker, that's how you could kind of tell where your stress levels are at and how you potentially could pass that on to the baby. Yeah. It's a, it's a touchy subject, this one, because, you know, mums don't want to think that their stress, which is sometimes unavoidable, could possibly impact their baby. So it's all about how we deal with our stress. That is the big thing. You know, like I said at the start, the stress itself is not the danger. The stress is not the enemy. It's 
how we can regulate ourselves out of that stress response and activate that vagus nerve as much as possible to tell our nervous system, you're safe, you're safe, you don't need to be so stressed. Absolutely. And that's where the key is for pregnant women. So I would actually, you know, I put vagus nerve care in my preconception phase. So they've got it down pat before they're pregnant. They don't have to worry about it when they're pregnant Mm -hmm. because if I have a pregnant woman who comes into my clinic, you know, maybe her thyroid's come up as a problem or she knows that her stress regulation isn't very good and she's heard about the vagus nerve and stress affecting her baby. So she'd like to get some help. And it's like, well, if there's something else going on in her body, we go back to the inflammation from wherever, you know, if she does have a gut imbalance and it's causing some inflammation, then there's only so far we'll be able to get her vagus nerve because we can't treat that while she's pregnant. But if we can get the gut and all of that inflammation low before she's falling pregnant and then really activate that vagus nerve, she'll have a much smoother pregnancy, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you're talking about this because I never say that I'm a fertility coach or helping women specifically with getting pregnant. Although (laughs) plenty of my clients have gotten pregnant because they wanted to after we cleared out some of the stuff going on in their body. I talk a lot about gut health and pregnancy on other people's podcasts because people don't seem to understand how connected the inflammation coming from your gut can be to not getting pregnant. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just something that's so often missed. And so I love this idea of holistically looking at all the stressors and how, yeah, it's like perceived mental, emotional stress is a huge one. Like you said, it's not what someone necessarily did or your it's your experience how you as an individual experience and perceive it and then how can you process through it so having that toolkit it feels like it's changing the way that you would approach a stressful situation i always talk about like the stress toolkit like what are the things in your mm-hmm. toolkit you can do when stress arises so that you can help manage it and this would be such a great thing to add on these little cold exposures or eye movements or whatever else you have in your toolkit. I'm sure you have so many to help people to get out of that fight or flight faster than they would if they didn't have the tool. Absolutely. And I really love the physical ones because then if you're, you know, replaying an emotion and you're like stuck on that loop, you almost get so, well, I don't know. I do. I can get so caught up in the emotion that I'm like, no, I want to be angry. Like, I don't want to calm myself down right now. Like I want to process this and I want to like, you know, think about it over and over again. Whereas the physical approach means you don't have to deal with what's happening in your head. You just shift your nervous system and then your head follows. So I find it easier to access and to downregulate that stress response than say like, trying to process the emotion from a cognitive point of view and kind of not getting anywhere. Yeah. I think that's great because (laughs) only what 5% of our, our thoughts are conscious, everything else is subconscious. So if we can work with our bodies somatically, then we can do a lot more to release out of that anxiety and fear. And I mean, even if you look at the way animals process trauma, they have to shake, right? (laughs) to get it out. This makes so much sense to me. So if mom can transfer low vagal tone or high cortisol stress levels to the baby and they maybe didn't realize that was what's going on, how would, since a baby can't communicate with you, how would it look if that baby was struggling with low vagal tone? 
Low vagal tone babies tend to have a little bit of trouble breastfeeding. So you may find that the latching, um, particularly early on, is difficult, like you really have to coach them through it um, and they might gag and choke a lot on their milk. They have some trouble swallowing um, because the vagus has an input into the swallow. They also tend to need more contact, more cuddles. They tend to sleep less because they're in a hypervigilant state, though they don't know that. They're just waking up and then they might cry more because they know that they want to sleep but again they're in that hypervigilant state and they tend to have more non-specific digestive issues so often by the time I've seen some babies the mum's like oh I've removed you know I'm only eating 10 foods and their gut is still terrible you know <laughs> like what's going on here um, and it's often not the food it's the vagus nerve that is, it just can't process anything. It doesn't matter what it is. So they might have some diarrhea or some um, wind or a little bit of reflux, probably been labeled with colic. And these babies also tend to have a preference for one caregiver because you imagine in that hypervigilant state, the need for safety is even higher. So for them, it's often their mum and they don't want anyone else, they might cry if they're being held by anyone else or, you know, in extreme cases, they might, you know, walk into a room in their mum's arms and just look at a certain individual and start crying. Anything that makes them feel unsafe, they'll be pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Pretty clear, pretty loud. That, that's incredible. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of moms listening that can resonate with this with their kiddos. So again, since they can't speak to us, would you say that snuggling with them is one of the best ways to help them tonify their vagal nerve? Yep. So I would say if you're trying to remove heaps of food from your diet and your breastfeeding, stop because that only makes your life more stressful. Regulating yourself is going to have an influence on your baby. So if you are in that postpartum, sleep deprived, no support, dysregulation, then working on yourself is going to help your baby because your baby's got to pick up on that. We know that the heart has a magnetic field of about three meters. So if your baby is inside your magnetic field, then they're going to feel what you're feeling. So working through regulating your heart rate and your heart rhythm, which is vagus nerve, is going to impact well how anyone within a three-meter radius of you is going to feel. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's really juicy about the heart. I didn't know that. And that makes, makes total sense to me. So really working on lowering your own stress and getting yourself out of that sympathetic dominant fight or flight space is going to help in turn let your baby know it's a safe place mm. oh. and the other thing is just you know back to the inflammation you know what you're eating be mindful of what you're eating what you're taking if your breast milk um, has got high levels of inflammation in it then your baby's going to get that too so in just in terms of a biochemical approach to the vagus nerve you really want to keep that inflammation as low as possible so that your baby is getting that top quality milk without aggravating their system. That makes a lot of sense as well. So kind of goes back to preconception, making sure parasites, mold, bacteria, yeasts, and all those inflammatory foods that might be bothersome for your body are kind of mm -hmm. taken care of and balanced. 
Cool. This is fascinating. I'm sure that there are women who are in every stage of this journey who have found this incredibly useful. And I know you shared two great tips and that you have all these online resources. How can someone get in touch with you if they want to work on their vagal tone? Yeah, so I've got a few options. I've got some online courses on the vagus nerve. So I've got one for babies. They actually, they're not a course, they're just a mini series because I know parents are busy. So I have a mini series on vagus nerve for babies and a mini series for vagus nerve for kids. And then, yeah, we can do some one-on-one coaching via Zoom. So that's all on my website, which is drcarrierigoni.com.au. Perfect. We will definitely link that into the show notes. And I have one question that I think I know the answer to, but it just popped into my head. I have a client whose daughter has mold issue and we, I just set her up with a protocol and she was like, Oh, I can't swallow pills. And then when I started Mm -hmm. learning in my community, that could be part of low vagal tone. Is that true? And can you fix it or reverse that so you can swallow capsules? Yes. Depending on how um, kind of entrenched the motor pattern is, you definitely can decrease the sensitivity. So I would be activating her vagus nerve, but not, not orally. Okay. (laughs) You know, so like the cold packs or the breathing or getting her um, more comfortable and you might find doing it right before she has to swallow a tablet might help her do that much easier. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Thank you for answering that. I wanted to make sure I asked you that today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom. And we'll definitely be sure to link your information into the show notes so people can reach out directly. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right, everyone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode of the She Talks Health Podcast. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.